first of all, hi, this is, this is Deeper class? Magic, and I'm, I'm Anna, and this is my father, Peter. What? Say hi, One Peter. One question, got you from 70 to 85. You're listening to Deeper Magic. <laughs> I literally just this I know, but I it's was so like hard. ready. So I'm calling up Family Matter. Turn the song off so I can tell you how Christian I am. <laughs> Um, this is a deeper magic. I'm Anna, and this is my father, Peter. Say hi, Peter. Uh, um, hi. See, I didn't even do it. You missed the opportunity I to did, say hi, I, Peter. I did it specifically because that's just the, that's the joke. And no, I decided but it's to, so funny every I, time. But everybody was maybe anticipating that I would say hi, I Peter, know. at that point. And so I just, you know, I, I took a there's little a, left turn. I'm there's sorry. a podcast that I listen to that from the very, very first episode, the, the DM is always like, say hi, Intrepid Heroes. And they're like, hi, Intrepid Heroes. Yes. And he's like, I hate you all. But they make the joke at the beginning of every episode. And well, it's always funny. Next time. Next time for mm-hmm. sure. Next time. Well, it's unusual that you did the opening to this, but we, we probably should say out of full disclosure and transparency. <laughs> we've already recorded the that rest we've of already, this episode. We, we have. <laughs> and we ended the episode with the idea that I didn't know Your exactly. Your future is our path. Yes, it is. We're in the sort of this TARDIS moment. We had tacos. We have this. We're, we're going to, we, we recorded this, I think, actually for both of us turned out to be something that we are looking forward to and then it even exceeded our expectations yeah, it was really that much fun. where we had a chance to interview Josh Packard who has done a ton of work with next generation people uh, people who have left the church um, mm-hmm. but are still interested in maintaining their faith and and as you and I have talked about <clears throat> while it's important to understand why people are leaving the church uh, this isn't to pile on uh, it is to just figure out so what does the future look like and he, boy he really was really good with he was so excellent. many it of was the really insights fun. that he had. And he really, again, liked you. Not a big surprise, but uh-huh. he liked you. But we ended that episode by saying that we knew how we were going to start the episode. And that is that you recently came across, as somebody who isn't attending church, uh, something about like spiritual well-being quiz oh, or yes. biblical worldview quiz or something like that. And it's called the Worldview Checkup. And it was assigned to one of Caleb's up? Northwestern friends for her well-being class. <laughs> worldview Checkup. Uh-huh. And at the end of it, it basically what it is. Here, hang on. I'm going to pull it up. Basically, your answers to the following questions reveal how much you've been shaped by a biblical worldview and influenced by other worldviews. This survey does not suggest whether you are a good or bad Christian. Rather, it shows how you might be able to strengthen your faith in specific ways, which is Christianese for whether or not you're a good Christian. Um, you could you could do advertising voiceovers with that, by you. the way. <laughs> that <laughs> was pretty impressive, that. yeah. So I took it. And basically, at the end of it, it gives you a bunch of percentages for, like, what worldviews have influenced you. Oh. Right? So this is not just a biblical worldview thing. It's just worldview in general. So in the secret battle of ideas, all of which are capitalized, so oh, it's like oh, a oh. thing. Oh, so now you're reading from this again. So this is, these are my results. This is what I got. <laughs> um, your worldview is... 59% Christian, which is quite a bit higher than Caleb's court. Yeah. Caleb was okay. in the third. Your older brother failed this miserably. 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 Um, 24% postmodern, 6.9% new spiritual, 3.4% Islamic. Really? 6.9% secular, and 0% Marxist. 
That's real. I, mm-hmm. I I wonder how they come to that um, idea. Oh, you'll of, see. Because uh, well, <laughs> you're. I have not seen a single one of these questions, no. and you're about ready to spring. It's going to be so this fun. worldview exam on me, and and in theory, not in theory, but in actuality, yeah. I am a professor who teaches the kinds of classes that would relate to biblical worldview. So we're about ready mm-hmm. to out my sheer fraudulence when it comes to teaching young people about biblical yeah. worldview. I'm terrified. How many questions are there? I don't know. Like twenty. Um, not that many. All right. Um, yeah, but it says you think in biblical terms some of the time, and your beliefs demonstrate a good affinity for a biblical worldview. Oh, this is your. Uh, These analysis. are still my results. Okay. Yes. All right. Right. Other worldviews are constantly trying to gain a foothold in the minds of Bible-believing people, and these views have proven so persuasive that some of your thinking is patterned after other worldviews. Oh, you've Be been you've been syncretized. You are not alone. Only seventeen percent of Christians hold a completely biblical worldview. With the like little disclaimer that a completely biblical oh. worldview is completely subjective to their theology. Anyway, wait, is that a disclaimer in that or is it? No, your that's disclaimer? my disclaimer. Okay, I was gonna say <laughs> that means most people at some point or another need resources like those found on the following page that can help them guard against uh, invading worldviews. We're doing worldview surveys so that we can promote resources. Okay. Uh huh. Okay. All right. Well, here, Are you no, ready? But, but before I take this test, here's what you need to do mm. at, at your very lame 59% <laughs> biblical hey, worldview. I feel good about uh, that. It was, it, apparently, you're, you're stronger than many. You need to avail yourself of those succeeding pages resources in the next week. And then you need to retake oh. that test. We're going to see, see if it fixed me. But whenever we're do you done. You know what was yeah. funny? It was that after um, Caleb's friend and I took this test just yeah. to see what was going to happen. We sat there and we were like, I want to take it again and see if I can get 100%. And she could figure it out. She figured out what answer she to click to get 100%. And I couldn't. I took it three times and I could not figure out how to get 100%. <laughs> you need, and I'll you tell need the you, resources. I'll tell you when you're done because I figured out, well, she figured out what it is and told me. Actually, no, I can tell you now because it won't super affect your answers. But there's a couple questions in here where it's like, do you strongly agree? Do you somewhat agree? Do you somewhat disagree? Or do you strongly disagree? Okay. Right? And we figured out that you have to either strongly agree or strongly disagree. Uh, there can't be somewhat. Yeah. Be so you have to yeah. be like 100% convicted about your beliefs. Yeah, all those muckety-mucks that make these little exams and get right. their PhDs from them. And, and then they shape everybody else's life based on the fact that they're yeah. an IMTFJ or whatever they are. Oh my gosh. I once heard it in a, in a different but they podcast say, but that they, I listened to. They called Myers... Wait, what was it? Myers-Briggs Myers, yes. is astrology for psychologists. <laughs> and I was like, I don't know if that's more an insult to Myers-Briggs or to astrology, that's but that was true. the funniest way I've ever heard that put. But I do know the tricks is that you, like you said, you can't yeah. just stay neutral on these things. You, no. you, you, the way they weight them is you've got to do like one or five. So, yeah. so here's what I'm going to do as part of this. And, and by the way, I just want to revisit this. You need to avail yourself of those resources because <laughs> we got to try to get you by the, like, three weeks from now Christian. to like 77% on this. Right. But I'm going to commit. I'm going to commit mm. on every question that you ask me to either strongly agree or strongly disagree or whatever those outlying oh, standard deviation categories are. Okay, so I'm going to There's going to be some on here that you're going to, I'm going to watch Uh-oh. your face change when I ask Can this I question. Can I take that back right now, actually? Nope. Can I go to neutral? Nope, not at all. You made a strong commitment and now you have to stick to it in order to be a good Christian. Okay, I'm ready. <laughs> okay, question number one. Oh, dear. Um, mark all that you believe are accurate. I believe God is... Okay. There are many gods, each with different power and authority. Oh my gosh. Okay. Do I can I get to comment already on some of this? 
I mean, because we're gonna if people have this is gonna read, take forever. If you well, comment I'm gonna, on I'm gonna just go really just quickly on this one. I'm just reading the unseen realm right now. Yeah, and I Michael said yes Heiser. Yeah, to because that one because at, principalities and powers. Right, just read Psalm Lesser eighty-two gods. one. Read Psalm eighty-two one. So right. I'm gonna say yes. Okay, no one can know if God truly exists. If by knowing we need mean intellectual knowledge that's different than the biblical way of knowing, which right. is which is a, which is a relational kind of not material knowledge. I said knowledge. yes to this because I'm going to go with like their thinking, intellectual Christian theological. Yeah, like can, I can prove to you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You can't yeah. you can't apologetic somebody into faith. Right. Okay. God represents a higher state of consciousness. No, God is other. Yep. Everyone is God. No. <laughs> God is the all-powerful, all-knowing, perfect creator of the universe who rules the world today. You get one guess which one of these is the right answer for them. Wait, read that again. There's so many modifiers in that one. God is the all-powerful, yes. all-knowing, perfect creator of the mm. universe who rules the world today. No, we're in the power. He somehow has ceded his power and authority to the principalities and powers, mm. although there is a kingdom that knows no end that persists in the midst of the darkness that does somehow penetrate and rule over that kind of darkness. But we're, we're, not, we're not at the consummation yet. So I... Okay, uh, interesting. I said yes to this one because I yeah. was like, he is... I mean, he is those things, kind of. Yeah, and he like put... Like his authority is still over the world. Yeah. So like I said yes, but I was like, I know my yes is different than their yes. If I say yes, will I score higher? Probably. I'll say yes. Because that's very clearly the yeah, correct I'll, answer. I'll, I'll say, I'll say It's yes. like in Sunday school when they're like, what's the right answer? And you're like, Jesus. Jesus, right. And they're I know, like, uh -huh. um, <laughs> <laughs> There is no God or gods. Hmm, here we are again. Wait, there, that's but there, it? But one of them is there is no God Wait, that's just gods. the statement? I have to comment on that? Well, it's like, I believe is. Mark all that you believe Oh, I believe there is no, no God. No God or gods. I don't believe that. So what right. does that mean? Okay. So we don't do anything with that one. Okay. Because I'm like clicking the ones that you're like, yes, I believe I that. I see. Okay. All right. Um, or, and then there's one that just says, not sure. Do you think I'm tracking towards like north of 70% right now? Or do you think I'm not? We're on right question now? one. This is oh, going gosh. to take okay. so Let's keep going. Long. All right. Keep going. I'll, go, okay. I'll, go, I'll try to go faster. Um. Okay, it's low. These are so oh, hard to go faster. Do you agree or disagree with the statements below? And this is one of the strongly agree, strongly disagree, and then somewhat agree or disagree. And I have to, and I've committed to strongly either way. Right. Okay. Each religion is true for those who practice it. Strongly disagree. Oh, interesting. Okay. Because I said uh, somewhat agree. Yeah, Just but you have the option. <laughs> See, I, I, I committed to either Faith side. in Jesus is the only way to God. Oh, dear. Only way to God. I mean, what do all those statements mean? That's said, the thing. That's the thing. That's the tricky part uh, about this quiz. I know. So I, I know. said somewhat I mean, for this one. Yes. I mean, yes. And I have like a thousand comments to make about that. So, okay, fine. Yes. Strongly agree or somewhat agree? Well, I have to strongly agree because okay, I committed to you it. Said. But just know that there's all kinds of disclaimers <laughs> in that statement. There's all kinds of qualifiers. Tons. Like we need an hour of class on that. All people pray to the same God or spirit, no matter what name they use for that God. Strongly disagree. Yeah, I said that as well. Um, <laughs> yikes, the implication <laughs> yeah, of that exactly. one. Yeah, exactly. Um, Jesus Christ was crucified. 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 <laughs> that is a new biblical word. <laughs> crucified. <laughs> I've been um, crucified with Christ. <laughs> yikes. Okay. And raised from the dead to conquer sin and death. I strongly agree with that. Yeah. That's unusual that people sort that out. Most people think it's about assuaging an angry God. Okay, that's yep. good. I like that. Jesus is the divine son of God. I agree strongly. Yep. Many religions can lead to eternal life. There is no one true religion. Well, I just take issue with how they're phrasing eternal life because it doesn't mean heaven when you die. Uh, we have to have a whole podcast about all this. So I'm just going to stay neutral and out on that one.
You can't. <laughs> it won't let me move Well, then, <laughs> then I'm going to say strongly disagree because okay. eternal life means the indestructible kind of life that God has and he imparts to his creatures that say yes to him. My, I it's not about remember heaven. what I said. I mean, for that heaven's one, real, but. but I think mine had something to do with the idea of like, uh, and this is maybe going to get a little technical, but the idea of like you might be worshiping the same God that I worship under a different name. That does not mean that I think that all gods yeah, right. are the same God. Understood. Wow. Understood. But like, I think that you don't necessarily have to be Christian to go to heaven. Which might be a little heretical. Well, that's where that's where our good friend Jim Bilby is going to have to come on air at some point mm-hmm. with his book that he wrote, Postmodern Opportunity. Postmodern Opportunity. Right? Yeah. This is C.S. Lewis, The Great Divorce. All of Ooh, that. So yeah, this is a fun one. Oh dear. And you do is this still it? question two? No, we're ten percent through this. Ten. Okay, I am going to speed <laughs> this up. I keep yeah. wanting to, but I can't. Um, okay, and this is a this is a super easy one. Okay. Um, is Allah in the Quran the oh, same as Yahweh gosh. in the Bible? No. Yes, no, or not sure. Strong. No. 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 Uh, Interesting. Uh, uh, the Quran was given as a series of revelations to Muhammad in a cave from the angel Gabriel as the story goes. I don't know that I buy the story, but the Quran is very different than the Bible. I My understanding of that was that it was the um, Hagar. Is it Hagar? Right. And Abraham? So, okay. so, so I that, said this part yes is right. to this because I was like, it is the same God. It's just two different versions. Right. Of it. So I'm taking issue with the Quran Bible part, but you okay. are right in saying that Islamic people trace their Which lineage to Allah. Which is why mine was Allah. like 3.4% Islamic was because I said yes. Because <laughs> right. I was like, because the lineage is the same and technically it is the same God. Right. In air quotes that the people listening can't see. Yes. Um, no, Islamic people trace their lineage to their yeah. God through uh, Hagar and Ishmael. And, but you're saying and the Quran is not the same right. as the Bible. Exactly. Yep, that okay. makes sense. Thanks. So two different interpretations of this. Yeah, same it's question. a bad question. Which book or books do you think tell the truth about God? Oh, Select dear. all that apply. Lame is a Lame is a Rob and Jean get, Valjean. Do you want me to put Lame is in there? Because yeah, I please. can't. There's yes. an option. The ending scene, I, I've already spoiled it. No. Right? I oh, mean, when so no good. longer the chains will bind you and welcome to the kingdom and when they as he's dying. And they Are start singing, me? I was like sobbing. Uh, me <laughs> too. The first time I saw it, I had no it's idea what so it was good. about. I was just weeping at the mm-hmm. Orpheum in Minneapolis. Okay. okay. No, Ordway, I think. The Bible. Okay. Do I say yes or no to this? Yes or no. And what was the question? I was just so intrigued with Lame is a Rob. books do you think tell the truth about God? <laughs> well, the, the Bible, Bible sure, yes, yeah, yes, uh, the Torah, yes, for, for right. Sure. I we, said yeah, yes. we study Torah. I was with like, the that Jewish might be rabbi. heretical, but I say yes. No, my gosh, we study Torah with Jewish rabbi. It's stunning. We well, just studied yeah. last weekend, and he rocked but my world in Genesis in mind, this too. Is like strong evangelical Christian. Oh, so, okay, like, all right, right. No, well, Torah is the first five. How can you say no to Torah? It's because the first they five don't books acknowledge in the, Bible. the Old Testament because the Old Testament isn't important. No, my the Book of Mormon. No, somebody dug that one up at the Eastern <laughs> Seaboard and made a claim about it and formed a cult. So I'm going to say no on that one. Yeah. Um, one of my friends was telling me the other day that apparently Twilight is an elaborate metaphor <laughs> for Mormonism. And I was like, there's no way. <laughs> How do you get it from up, werewolves to true. Mormonism? It is. It's so funny. I was looking at it and I was like, there's no way this is true. And then there's like a hundred different articles published about it. And really? Like the whole thing. I was like, that's hilarious. So I don't know if it's true or not, but like. I just think that's hysterical. Yeah, well, I don't see the ties, but I'm willing to be persuaded. Okay, what's next? Uh, the Quran. Oh, gosh. Um, Tell the truth about God. I haven't. Okay, so I haven't read enough of the Quran to say one way. Or I haven't the other. read any of. So them. I'm I'm gonna say it probably can approximate some things, but I wouldn't consider it an inspired. Okay, and then none, and then other, and under other, it said please specify, and so I put lame is. Okay. Yeah, um, for sure, lame is. That's a no brainer. Definitely. Yes. Um, do you agree or disagree with the following statements? 
Only the words of Jesus in the Bible should be followed completely. No, I disagree. Strongly? Strongly. Because you don't get I, to Because I don't have, we've been through this. The Bible is the inspired word of God. I agree. The Bible contains no errors. Oh, yeah. I now know, we need a couple. I hate uh, that question. If you want to say in its original manuscripts, then yes. But well, I'm, and my but, thing yeah. is, is that I've heard that used as an argument to like, uh, no. for like gross things with women's rights in the church well, because they're like the bible doesn't contain errors and the bible says these things and i'm like the bible was radically progressive it's for its time no, it was with the understanding that this was like first step not ultimate goal yeah but I, I just and so many people read the bible and assume it's saying one thing when it's often saying something very different they misunderstand they think it's misogynistic mm-hmm. and anti this and anti that and, and and they're just they're misunderstanding the interpretation that's going on now the church has perpetrated those interpretations at times right. or certain versions of the churches have but man it's a subject for another time okay it drives me wild. so does the Bible contain no errors? Do you strongly agree or strongly disagree? When I read my English NIV, that You just was pre- have to pick. <laughs> <laughs> you just have to give me an answer. If you can modify- We are 25% done with this Oh quiz. my gosh. Okay, I'm going to say that I agree, but I'm going to modify it for, the, for people okay. listening in the original form. The Bible is a great book of literature, but is not necessarily true. Oh gosh! Now we have to, mm. but people will hear that statement as if like like it has it, it's being read through a scientific lens or something like that, right? And, and so I'm going to say yes, it's true, but not according to the metrics by, by which we might apply to it in 21st yeah. century, whatever. Okay, so yes, yep. it's true. It's true. Okay, which statement best tells what you believe will happen after you die? You get to only pick one. Oh gosh! Uh, what if I don't like any of the choices? Okay, read them all. Read them all. <laughs> yeah um when you die you will go to heaven because you are a good person oh my god when you die you will go to heaven because you receive forgiveness from jesus for your sins hint that's the right answer for this quiz thanks um if you're looking to get 100 Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. when you die you will go to heaven when god graciously decides you have spent enough time in purgatory (laughs) when you die you will not go to heaven when you die you will go to heaven because god loves all people you do not Ooh, know what will happen after you die hmm. or not sure. Hmm. I think I said, okay. Yeah, and let me clarify my answer. Cause I said, when you die, you will go to heaven because God loves all people. But that's what the postmortem opportunity idea where yes. if you aren't like that, hell is a chosen absence from God. Yes. Right. That's my understanding is like, it's open to you yes. because God loves everybody. Yeah, C.S. Lewis's comments, hell that is a place where the door thought. is locked from the inside. I know I'm, I'm that's much not more... what they meant, no. but that's what I picked. Because yeah. <laughs> well, I was like, that's what I mean. And the early church would have certainly believed, again, another podcast for another time, that would have absolutely mm-hmm. believed that you kind of he- you headed into sort of a holding tank of sorts. It wasn't a purgatory, but it was a holding tank of sorts until um, Jesus returned in the final resurrection of the body. So yeah. um, I think we'll be in the presence of God, but that doesn't necessarily mean the fullness of heaven has been realized at that point. So, okay. Mm-hmm. Yes, well, you have to pick one. I have to pick one? Yeah. Whatever you picked. I like that one. Okay. I, I would narrow it down for you from the like obviously ridiculous options to receive forgiveness from Jesus for your sins or because God loves all people. You know what? I'm going to say I don't or know. Or you don't know. I'm going to say I don't know with the modifier that I'm I'm certain. You don't get to, the modify. <laughs> the quiz doesn't God. care about your modifiers. Okay. But, but we'll be, I'll be in God's presence. Okay. Okay. Thank you. We're now Stupid 40% quiz. done okay. with this quiz. Yes. What do you believe about the origin of the world? Choose one. God made it. The universe and the earth came into being at some point in the distant past. Life evolved over millions of years from earlier life forms with no God or intelligent force. Nope. 
God created the universe in six 24-hour nope. days. <laughs> <laughs> you can just move I on. That, I read that one. Move on. Uh, my favorite one is um, about 6,000 years ago, designing the Earth's creatures in pretty much their current form. I was like, mm, okay. Um, God sparked the universe into existence at some point in the distant past and used the natural process of evolution to bring about many kinds of life we see today. God created the universe at some point in the distant past and gave the Earth's creatures the capacity to change and adapt over time. Oh my gosh! Because that's the How one am I that pick? I pick. Yeah. Other or not sure. I'm going to pick the same one that you picked. Right? Although, I, you know, I but I think God is also at the center of the ongoing change and stuff. And I, and I will admit, I'm not a species to species evolution guy. I'm, no. I'm not thinking that it went from like amoeba to gecko with a tail to frog to primate to me. Or <laughs> I'm pretty sure that's <laughs> that not was the Darwinian, not it. But okay. I'm pretty sure that's not the Darwinian chart. But I'm not a species to species person. I am. Um, my, the Hebrew word for day in Genesis 1 is yeah. the Hebrew word yom, and Genesis 1 is poetry. I think it actually happened, but it's poetry mm-hmm. in the way they tell it. And so yom is probably best it's understood like to be... It's age, year, Yeah, it's, it's more of an age, less about a 24-hour yeah. period of time. It and is so used I think, for day, for 24-hour yeah. time, but it is also like an age yeah, or exactly. a, like a, a time in which a certain idea resided, which yeah. is maybe kind of convoluted concept, but yes. we can circle back to that For another sure. time. I, I would put my, my brother as a biologist and he puts himself in a theistic evolutionary camp, mm-hmm. meaning God is at the center of the evolutionary process. So you, he, oh, he kind cool. of, but I probably am more of what's called a, a progressive creationist um, mm-hmm. where God is That's at the center of ongoing creating. So whichever one that one is. All right. Do you agree or disagree with the following statements? A person's life is only valuable if a society sees it as valuable. Disagree. Yeah. Strongly. I was going to be really concerned if you agreed with yeah, that it just one. I was me, that was a lot of words. It's a lot of words. Okay. All this right. is the one that is going to be super fun for you to strongly agree or strongly disagree with, oh, especially gosh. as a human sexuality teacher. Oh, great. Life begins at conception. <laughs> so the two most common ways are life begins at conception or life begins at implantation. I um, am partial to implantation. I'm partial to implantation myself, but I'm going to just, again, modify that and say that life begins within the intentionality of God prior to any right. sort of biological reality. And so I'm, I'm not sympathetic entirely to either conception or implantation because when something's within God's intentionality, then it exists. Um, whenever that comes into being then. But mm-hmm. I think for the sake of this... Modern political arguments. Yeah, I would probably put implantation ahead of conception. So is this a strongly disagree? And, and, and the reason why is because half of all conceptions spontaneously abort without right. anybody knowing it. And that has tremendous implications for being an imager if half of all imagers that have ever come into being mm-hmm. spontaneously aborted, whereas implantation... The um the the conditions for life are possible now at that point. So I could be persuaded either way, but I'd probably go towards implantation, which means my answer is what? Strongly disagree? Probably. No, dang it. Okay. Uh, people who suffer should have the right to end their lives on their own terms. Which that one was a really tricky one for me because I was well, like, if we're talking about euthanasia. Yeah. I, mm, I, mean, I have kind of flexible ideas on that one. If we're talking about like, Suicide? Yeah. Eh. No, I mean, the difference between active and passive euthanasia is substantial. For somebody that says, I'm going to um, not have any more cancer treatment, right. that's that's different than somebody who sort of unplugs themselves or goes to the old Dr. Jack Kevorkian, and the guy <laughs> that was the suicide doctor <laughs> yep. that caused so many waves and stuff. So I'm going to, so what are my options? 
Strongly agree or strongly oh disagree? Gosh, I'm going to say strongly disagree. Strongly disagree. Well, how did how was the question phrased? I should be sure. People who suffer should have the right to end their lives on their own terms. I'm going to strongly agree because I think they really? should be. No, because I think, you, but this is again but modified. because no, I somewhat agree. With the idea. Well, yeah, and since I didn't have that option, yeah, I'll say strongly to. agree. Okay, yes. Um, my life has specific purpose from God. Oh, I, I guess I will strongly agree, but with the caveat that that only happens in community because the Bible mm-hmm. didn't have individualism as its notion. So, All right. More strongly agree or strongly disagree. Meaning and purpose come from being made and loved by God. Mm. Strongly agree, modified by the idea <laughs> that... Oh, fine. I'll just shut up. You don't Go get ahead. to modify. Fine. Strongly agree. Um, Dang it. Meaning and purpose come from working... Uh, working hard to earn as much as possible so you can make the most of life. <laughs> I want to say strongly <laughs> agree, but just for the sake of this quiz, I better say strongly disagree. I strongly disagree. No one can know for certain what meaning and purpose there is to life. Strongly disagree. Really? Yes. I said strongly agree because I don't think we can know for certain. Well, I don't know the, specif- the specificities of meaning and purpose, but I absolutely believe from Genesis 2 that we are designed to tend and to guard God's ever-unfolding garden of delight. But is that belief or is that knowledge? Oh, I don't know. That's my thing, is that they're saying no for certain. Why, why, don't, you, why don't you pick my answer? Okay. Right, I'm thanks. leaving yours with strongly disagree. Okay, we'll see where that leads me. Meaning and purpose come from working to build a society that is equal for everyone. Mm, oh my gosh. <laughs> equal what? Equal what? This. Equal an opportunity in order to... That doesn't oh say. my gosh. I'm, I'm just going to say strongly disagree because there's, okay. there's too many. And I, I'd be somewhat in between. Meaning just and purpose come from yes. becoming one with all that is. <laughs> how, how very Hindu of us. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm going to say strongly disagree. Each person you need differentiation for yes, love. Yes, that's true. You need, you need it for love. Each person must decide for themselves their own meaning and purpose. Strongly disagree. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, We're going lightning round. You listen. I'm, I'm not even going to modify. I'm just going to oh, say. Oh, really? Well, maybe. Okay. This is more agree or disagree. Okay. The concept of right and wrong must change as society evolves. Strongly disagree. <laughs> Dang it, really? I just, there's so many things. I'm thinking about like biblical commandments I'm and I'm say, like, I, no, I, I think some of them are not like, think, okay, uh, we were just sure. talking about the Deuteronomy for, oh, oh, commandments fine. for okay, women. Okay, I strongly agree. You're right because yeah. there's all kinds of conditional it things. It has and, to and, no, evolve. <sighs> all right, fine. Your beliefs are wrong if they hurt someone's feelings. <laughs> <laughs> I'm picking disagree. your answer for that one. <laughs> if you do good, you will receive good. If you do bad, uh, you will receive bad. How very karma of us. Um, mm-hmm. I'm going to say strongly disagree. The rain falls on the wicked and the good. You can only know if a belief is true if science proves it. Strongly disagree. Holy cat. What is morally right or wrong depends on what an individual believes. Strongly disagree. I'm not a relativist. I mean, I am relative. Yeah, we sense. studied moral I'm a, relativism. I'm a contextualist. Like, I'm, I'm a contextualist, not one? a relativist. It's a big difference. I didn't understand why Caleb hated David Hume so much until we were studying ethical systems. And yeah. it was like emotivism or something was David Hume's theory. David Hume's theory. Yep. And it's the idea that there is actually no moral right or wrong. It's all just emotional expressions of what we like or don't like. And I was like, that's the stupidest thing I've ever wow. heard. And they have like a... like a So basically when you say power to him wrong, in Edinburgh. Yeah. yeah. When they're like, murder is wrong, actually what you're saying is murder makes me feel icky, so we shouldn't do it. 
<laughs> you should write philosophy. Those are philosophy Wouldn't books that, that I would read. If, if, I would if it was like murder makes me feel icky, I could understand it and I would read a philosophy yeah. text. Okay. All right. What's okay. next? What is a human being? Only choose oh gosh, one. Oh, great. A physical and spiritual being with value apart from what they do. I agree. That was that was the one that I picked. Yeah, I'm picking that one, I bet. Part of the larger mind that is the universe. <laughs> How very... That's like Indiana <laughs> Jones and Kingdom of the Crystal Skull. With okay. a brain that works like a computer. Nope. A highly evolved complex animal. Nope. The sum of their experiences. Nope, I understand Or not that, sure. Well, I like the sum of their experiences because we are verbs who change and mm-hmm. all of that, but I'm going to pick number one, that first one. Right, because it's like yep. physical and spiritual, yeah, but it's sure. also we have inherent value. For sure. Right. Yep. All right. Which of the following statements about marriage and sexuality do you agree oh, with? come on. Select all that apply. Right. I don't think that God is really concerned about what kind of marriage is best. Disagree. Okay. Any kind of sex between two consenting adults is acceptable. Disagree. There's nothing wrong with sex before marriage if two people love one another. Disagree. A marriage is one man. But there's like all sorts of good reasons why I teach all this stuff. A because people are going to think about it from the 1800s. married to one woman for life. Listen, read that one again. A marriage is one man married to one woman for life. Well, when we understand marriage is about stewardship first and companionship yeah. later. Um, There's a reason that you're one of the favorite professors on campus is because the way that you talk about this stuff is so, so good. And the way that they are boiling down it's so to like... stupid. Yeah, no. It's like, yeah. Well, thank you for saying that. Anyways. I disagreed with that last one, whatever that was. One man married to one woman oh, wait, for I, life. Oh, wait, I agree. Wait, 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 wait. wait. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just like so mad about the questions that I'm just going default disagree. Okay, I agree. A marriage is two I adults agree. bound by legal marriage regardless of gender. Nah, I disagree because I could care. The state of Minnesota has no power to do anything to anybody, so I could care less. Not like true. when I officiate weddings, mm-hmm. I will say that, yes, by the power invest, uh, vested me by the state of Minnesota, which I don't care about. That's just to get a tax yeah. benefit. But as an ambassador to the kingdom of God, that's what I care about in this moment. Yeah. Okay. And then the last option is just not sure. No, I, I'm, well, whatever. You seem, I, I, you seem sure. Yeah. <laughs> I, just want, I just want to disagree with all of it. Okay. What is the main, and main is underlined, cause of society's problems? Okay. Select one. Sin is the cause of problems in society. Yes. We do not appreciate our own godlike nature. <laughs> I like society, that one, but no. <laughs> society does not submit to God, and it should be forced to do so. Oh my gosh, crusaders, no. Rich people taking advantage of the working class. That's a problem, but that's not the number one problem. Conflict between groups that insist they alone possess the truth. Again, a huge problem, not that, that problem. That would have been my number two I, I, Right, no, these, like, like, the, the like, last two that you read are like 1A. Yeah, no, But it's like, okay. These like, are just expressions of sin is what they are. Right. That's why I'm picking them as 1A. They're clearly problems, but they're just expressions of the problem. Exactly. All right. What statement best describes what you believe about history? Choose one. There is no real direction for history. Things just happen. God has worked through society for his purposes. Each society must decide for itself what is the best course. Social progress helps humankind become better and better. None of these or not sure. I and said I be- none of these. I'm between number two, none of these, and not sure. Because I can see that God works through certain situations, but I, I really resist the impulse that God is using things to accomplish yeah. as good. Because then you've got like to go the to like God Nazi has a plan. Yeah, no. That was where my I just, brain I went. I can't do Germany. that. So I'm going to... I was like, you can't sit there and mm-hmm. tell me that that was like God being like, yep, I decided that this was what I was going to happen. No, I, so I'm going to say not sure. Not sure. Okay. Yep. I said none of these. Yeah, yeah. I just like went down another 10% on this thing. Keep going. Sure did. Okay. This is my favorite part of the quiz. 
Um, it's just two questions about you. Okay. Are you male, female, or I'd rather not say? And I'm fully convinced that because I'm a female, I can't score higher than 80% on this quiz. <laughs> You're just the worst. I, right, I, 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 I believe okay. I'm going to say true. male for me. Yep. So maybe and then I can what get is higher your than... age? <sighs> 51. 307. <laughs> 51. You know what I do? I want to get to Bilbo Baggins' age. Well, it wasn't he 111. You lower th- than me. What did I get? <laughs> was my score already there? <laughs> Keep oh in mind, gosh. this is a score where I had to strongly agree and disagree and modify. You got I'm going to lose my 46% Christian. <laughs> That's amazing. In comparison to my 59. Oh my gosh. 24% postmodern, 4.3% really? new spiritual, Sweet. no Islamic, no Islamic, 15% secular, and 11% Marxist. <laughs> <laughs> That's incredible. Uh, where did you go to find this exam? Less than half of the time. <laughs> and your beliefs demonstrate some affinity for a biblical worldview. Unfortunately, these views have proven so persuasive that most of your thinking is patterned after other oh. worldviews. Oh my gosh. I'm going to I'm going to open up I'm, I've been brainwashed. I'm opening up a new class incredible. called I've been brainwashed. So there you go. Oh, that was what brilliant. I spent my evening last night doing instead of writing my essay. Well, that is a brilliant test and that's not available to the public, right? Like we it can't is. It is. Where, can, okay. So where can Google people go to take this exam? Summit Ministries Worldview Checkup. Summit Ministries Worldview Checkup. <laughs> I clearly, <laughs> favorite I clearly need the next few pages before I get checked up on again. You need a spiritual doctor. I totally do. Yeah. I, I love. Oh, all right. Well, so, that's it's it's. Uh, I actually, can't believe I'm a better Christian than you. Are. <laughs> that's so good. That's so fun. I think actually probably I actively try to be a terrible Christian. Yeah, yeah. Well, and I think actually the pathway to spirituality, according to that exam, is the lower you go, the more Christ-like you are. Yeah. So, so clearly you're wor- like you're fifty nine percent. I'm f- I'm further down this Christ-like path than you are. I'm forty six. Definitely. <laughs> But that makes your brother at 30% ahead of both. I know. And we can't tell him that. He can never know. I think my favorite part of that exam is that what? There was one question, one question about Islam, one question about that. One. And I got 0% just because of one question. Like if I had answered the question a different way, would I have gotten 100% Islam? What a dumb question. That's what we were trying to figure out the other night where we were like, can you even get 100% Islamic on this quiz? And we were like, I bet not. You can't because there's one, you'd have to skip Because nobody is apparently 100% Islamic. I don't know. I don't know what the idea was there. Well, it is a, a fairly um, timely thing that you actually took because we're, mm-hmm. I mean, we've been talking so much, obviously, on Deeper Magic about um, being, uh, what, how, what's the phrase, spiritual but not religious. And right. It, there's been sort of this Christian worldview that I think a lot of people have been indoctrinated in in some ways. But again, we got to be really careful. I, I, I really appreciated how my advisor talked about this in Edinburgh when I was a student there. She said there's patterns of Christianity. There's not yeah, just like one totally. big monolithic Christianity thing. Yeah. Um, but the patterns in which we are most familiar, and I think a lot of people are familiar that are part of evangelical sorts of backgrounds, really would write this kind of Absolutely test. Absolutely, they and, would. And, and so... I think in this move of spiritual but not religious, people are moving away from some of those frameworks of Christianity Mm -hmm. but are still intensely spiritual and are are interested in doing so. So we thought we would bring on a guest who wrote some great stuff uh, about this, right? So maybe without any further ado, let's uh, head that direction, shall we? Yeah, absolutely. I esteemed somewhat, I don't know, failure of a daughter, Anna. (laughs) Hey. (laughs) 
What a great way to that is start the, the podcast. Introduction I've ever heard. Yeah, well, you know, thanks, it, man. It, this has been such a bummer, and and when we get started here recording in a second, um, you know, I start, I, I let off our first episode, I don't know, six seven weeks ago, talking about how I'm such an important public church figure. And, with tongue in cheek, and uh-huh. and uh, and that she's an abysmal failure because she doesn't want to attend church anymore. Uh, and so, <laughs> so oh, it's, well, hold on. I mean, how much time are we get tonight? Because I think we can we can probably fix that. Yeah. <laughs> See, <laughs> this is why okay, wait, I wait, wanted wait, you wait. on. No, Who no, are no. we fixing? Yeah. Are we fixing my dad's oh, misconceptions of my spirituality, or are we convincing <laughs> me to go back to church? That's what I want. Absolutely, absolutely both. By the time we get done, Peter will think he's so important, and we'll oh. be much more inclined to go to church. <laughs> Okay, you know, I can deal with that. I will go back to church when it means like an ego check for my phone. Oh, I am so, I am heading to the grill. I am bailing from this podcast. This is the best start to a phone call I've ever had. Oh, I'm <laughs> so glad. I love it. Well, and I'm so tired of her, Josh, quite frankly, because hey. people have been listening these last six weeks and they're in of this and in of that. It's like, you know, I was a radio show host. I, I, I'm really important in this. And they think she, they literally think she's better at this than I am. It drives me absolutely up a wall. Aw, Sorry. Yeah. So <laughs> there you go. There you have it. Hey, are, were you at Wisconsin um, at Viterbo? Is that, am I saying that right? Were you there yesterday? Uh, no, I'll be there in a few weeks. Oh, okay. So they announced it yesterday because it sounds like you're doing yeah. a, a fairly intriguing conference there. Oh, I hope. Yeah. <laughs> I would want it to be interesting. <laughs> not, not entirely sure how to respond to that, but I, I hope it's intriguing. Yeah. Well, I love that's, it. That's the plan. Yeah. 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 Because where do you live? So I don't answer uh, that. I'm coming north. to find you. <laughs> <laughs> I live north of Denver in a, a call, in a town called Greeley, Colorado. Yeah, sure. Um, our spring tide is based the the office is technically the mailing address is in um, Minnesota, but our team is across the country, all over the place. That's what I was wondering because I saw that your mailing address was there, but I didn't figure you're actually local. So that's um, because yeah. we're just outside the Twin Cities. Uh, I teach at uh, both Bethel University and Northwestern. Anna's attending Bethel right now. Uh, mm-hmm. Just she's just back from um, a year abroad at the University of Edinburgh. So yeah, that's cool. Very cool. Yeah. Cool. Well, good. Well, what is your timing uh, tonight? How much uh, do you have? Thirty minutes? Do you have forty-five? What would be ideal for you? Um, Thirty would be great. We can, if it goes to forty-five, we're, uh, you know, I can go to five fifteen. My time. That's fine. Okay. I think Anna. Correct me if I'm wrong, Anna, but I think we were talking about just having him highlight some of what his research has shown about why people are leaving the church, but also yeah. more importantly, where where do we see this all going from here? So. Yeah, absolutely. And Anna, Anna, how old are you? I'm twenty. Okay, great. So you are right in the middle of our demographic. So at Springtide, all we do is research the religious and spiritual lives of 13 to 25-year-olds. You're right Ooh, in the middle there. Fun. Oh, that's amazing. I think yeah, this interview has started. I haven't been to... Ooh, I don't remember when the last time was that I like regularly attended Sunday church. It's been a long yeah. time. But I think I... Totally fine. I think the last time that I went to youth group on a regular basis, I was probably about 16. That sounds about right. 15 yeah. or 16. And then I think... I I think Sunday church stopped before that <laughs> and youth group went sure. on a little longer. Yeah. Um, but I think I haven't really I think I've been actively avoiding going to Sunday church for a couple of years now. And and yet you're getting ready to get baptized. I mean, you're still all in on oh, this yeah. thing. You just don't want to go to institutional church, which is, re- I think it's so, I don't know if you found that. Well, let's, you know, we should start the interview and talk about this. How <laughs> about sure. that? Since, the, um, since we I called you. I have been this whole time. You so have, like, that's true. I you can know. splice that. Oh, that would be a really compelling intro. Um, the one thing I'll say, <laughs> we don't, no, no need for a scripted set of questions, of course. And, right. But it is useful for 
I've found, given that we're just a few years old at Springtide, if there's an opportunity for me to get to just say a quick two-minute overview of what Springtide is. Absolutely. I think that's great. Why don't we start with that at this point? Just you give us a little bit of your background, and then we'll just kind of jump in. And Anna and I, I'm guessing, we'll just kind of alternate off the cuff with some questions and, Mm -hmm. and go from there. That sounds great. Okay, cool. Um, what, do, you, do you want me to just do a little intro of you, of your background, or do you want to take the whole thing? Whatever, you, whatever makes the most sense for you. I'm agnostic. Okay, cool. Well, well why don't we just start then, Anna, huh? Cool. Okay. I will say, having the soundboard in front of me instead of you, I did not fully appreciate... The power. I know. Well, I know. <laughs> no, it's not the power. It's the fact that all these little buttons over here are all so pretty and such <laughs> different colors, and they're all glowing, and I know that if I push one... It's going to make a funny noise. Yeah, why don't you just push one just really quick? It's just... Just give I, us one. I really shouldn't because if I do one, I won't stop. Oh, that's fair. That's the thing. <laughs> I just will want to push all of them. But it's like I didn't I didn't realize the extent of the temptation that yeah. you were dealing no, with. No, I know. I know. I so told you. I'm a Genesis 2 guy. I'm not a Genesis 3 guy. I don't fall. I was like, actually, I'm sorry. This is me apologizing to you. Thank you. For giving you crap about the soundboard because, wow, they like... There's a lot of power I in really that want to push those buttons, and I know that I shouldn't. <laughs> I know. All right, let's bring Josh in, shall we? Yeah. <laughs> All right, here we go. Sorry. Oh, and it's probably uh, after that opening conversation we just had, it's probably time to finally uh, bring our guest in without any further ado. Yes. This is somebody, I, I had an article texted to me. It was sort of a synopsis of a book that he had written, I want to say in maybe 2015, though he can correct me uh, in just a moment when we bring him in. Mm-hmm. But it was very intriguing around some of the stuff that you and I have been talking about in these first first five, six episodes of the podcast uh, about the idea of young people leaving the institutional church, but not necessarily leaving their faith. In fact, they remain um, as interested in as ever in spiritual things. So this article came, it was about church refugees and and all of that. And we thought probably it'd be great to have another voice on this. So let's bring him in. This is uh, Dr. Josh Packard joining us. And uh, Josh, thanks for joining us here on The Deeper Magic. I'm, I'm really excited to be here. Thanks for having me. So why don't you just give us a little bit about your background? I know you're part of a research institute that does a ton of work uh, on spirituality among young people. That's right. Yeah. So um, the book you just mentioned, and thank you for that, uh, Church Refugees, I wrote when I was a professor. So I have a background as an academic, but um, you know, I was never one of those academics that wanted to talk to other academics. I was always interested <laughs> in, in like tri- yeah. and trying to figure out much, much, by the way, I'll say much to the chagrin of my entire graduate school faculty. <laughs> really, were just trying to train me to do that one thing. Um, so I was always interested in what we call applied sociology. That's my degree, PhD mm-hmm. in sociology. And, and that uh, for a long time, you know, about 10 or 15 years or so, that was inside of the academy. And then just trying to do work that spoke outside of it. So that's why I published a book like Church Refugees, which is research-based, but was published by group publishing and you know, very much a non-academic press. And then ultimately, it led me over to this job that I have now, which is the founding executive director of Springtide Research. And at Springtide, we, uh, you know, we carry that motto forward that I was just talking about. And the motto is that we want to be useful, not interesting. And, but all, all we do is research about the faith and spiritual lives of 13 to 25 year olds across all religious expressions, across all belief systems and, you know, spiritual inclinations and no, you know, no identifications, et cetera. Uh, and we just really exist to, you know, we, we believe that for young people to flourish, their faith and spiritual lives need to be well attended to in whatever capacity that is. And we want to help the adults in their lives connect to them better around those conversations and those places and space. So that's, hmm. that's what we do. The big thing we do every year over there is called the 
state of religion and young people that we publish every fall. Yeah, I love that. And you said a phrase just a second ago. You said you wanted to be useful, not necessarily interesting. Did you yeah, catch that? Yeah, you and I, we both I just know. looked at each yeah. other and we were like, oh, ho. And I was like, as a as the person who fits your demographic of like who you're studying, yeah. um, I'm happy to be a lab rat. But like, I love the idea of, yeah, somebody who is there to be useful or, or to provide like spiritual guidance or spiritual community or whatever for for me because I feel like that's something that I have lacked in my life and and not people who are just there to be interesting to get numbers in the door to mm-hmm, mm-hmm. provide the events <laughs> well, that are fun a, and whatever. A, yep. That's a really great point. I hadn't even thought about it through that lens. I mean, you know, we, we, we use it as a, it's a way of distinguishing the kind of research that we do from you know, something that also, I mean, we very much appreciate, but it's just different in terms of like what Pew and Gallup do. I mean, you know, we're asking a set of questions um, and doing rigorous research really with, you know, designed to help, to, like I said, to support the spiritual and faith explorations of young people. And then we're, we know that we're not ultimately the people who are going to do that guy. It's going to be the, you know, hopefully it's the adults in their lives. But a lot of times those adults are working with, you know, outdated information or bad models that just, uh, you know, once were good, but don't work anymore. And so we try to come along and provide some some, you know, new wine skin to use in mm. Christian terminology. Yeah, I, I think my research, Josh, is probably pretty dated along those lines. So I'm curious what you found in terms of some of the reasons maybe why young people are leaving some of the institutional church. Because when I was doing some research, uh, like you in, in, in some sociology, it was more along the lines of 2006, 7, 8. So it was a good decade in front yeah. of you. And at that time, what I found working with young people is that uh, I was working primarily in Catholic and then some Protestant traditions that had confirmation and asking the question, (laughs) why did so many people leave right after confirmation, which in theory, after confirmation, you're sort of fully part of the body, right? And and yet so many young (laughs) people were leaving at that time. Then it was just because they were trying to build resumes and, and trying to get ahead in life and church wasn't very helpful for that. But is, what did you find, uh, when you were doing your research? Yeah, I love that. That idea of leaving right after confirmation. It's like, congratulations. See yeah. you later. You graduated from church. Yeah, you, <laughs> you really did graduate from church. And a lot of them, Josh, they said that they had to do it because grandma said that you had to do it or yeah. mom said you had to do it or dad mm-hmm. in order to get your driver's license. Yeah. That was the biggest thing Which, as well. By the way, doing things because your parents tell you to do them is not a bad thing. Anna, take note. Hey, I mean, Josh, can you say that one more time? Would you mind saying that know. one more time, Josh? I think it depends on like, which speak parent speak louder and into why. The microphone. Yeah, if yeah. you would, yeah, just right into that microphone, exactly what you just said. Um, well, I, you know, I think that that conversation, and I, I, I was asked by a pastor just not long ago, I mean, within the last year or so, um, they said, you know, how can we get this generation back to church? And I said, well, you know, asking how to get young people back to church is a really good conversation to be having in 2002. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, but in 2022, it's the wrong conversation. This isn't a generation that has left church. This is a generation that's largely not grown up in it. Oh, interesting. Um, hmm. That they, you know, we're now dealing with parents who left church raising kids who just never were in it in the first place. And so it, that that distinction. So that is an interesting distinction, right? And I told you we're going to be useful. So let me get to the useful part. <laughs> that, that matters, you know, because at the end of the day, right? Like, you know, they're just both not in church. Um, but but that distinction is really important because it, there's this really interesting thing that happens in our brain. I told you I'm a, I'm a sociologist, behavioral scientist, and what ha- the, the social dynamics around an, what we call an out group, or a group of people that you don't have much experience with, is that 
you don't actually nothing them. You don't put them in neutral. Hmm. You still are compelled. Our brains are compelled to create a narrative around that group of people so that we can understand them. And this works wildly well in most parts of our lives. Now, on the, on the bad side, this is where like a lot of stereotypes come from. And so what you've got right now with, with Gen Z growing up largely never having been in church or mosque or synagogue is that they're they're not not telling themselves a story about religious people because they haven't been there. In fact, they are telling themselves a story about religious people. And that story, in the absence of firsthand knowledge, is being driven by information from the media. It's being driven by information from social media, you know, their perceptions of what, you know, all of which are the most extreme cases. And so last year at Springtide, we asked young people how much, you know, just to, ask, to take one question, I will not kill you with data. Um, <laughs> no, this is said, so interesting. It is. It's interesting and useful, Derek. We're both sitting there just okay, looking good. at each there other like, oh we my are. gosh, Yeah, what? we're fighting over who gets to ask the next question. So go ahead. Yeah, give us some more of the data. Okay. So we asked them, uh, yeah, three-fourths of whom, by the way, still identify as religious or spiritual. So we mm-hmm. keep that in mind. Three-fourths of Gen Z identify as religious or spiritual. We asked them, how much do you care about the following issue? And we just listed a laundry list of social issues, immigration, gun reform, LGBTQ plus right, you know, and on and on and on, like gender equity, the environment, et cetera, et cetera. And they would give us their answer. And then, and, and, and like that alone would have been probably something that was good enough for us to publish just to say like, here's what they care about. But then somebody on the research team had this, why I think it's a brilliant idea to ask a follow-up question, which was, how much do you think religious people care about those issues? Hmm. And on Every single one of them, there was a 20-point gap. And that includes both, like, all the young people who are both in, you know, attending religious services regularly, as well as those who don't. You can imagine that for those who are not, the gap is even higher. So there's a 20-point gap. In other words, like, young people are running around the country telling themselves a story that religious people do not care about the same thing that I care about. Mm-hmm. I don't think that that's objectively true. I know lots of religious people who care about those issues, probably just as much as those young people. But there's an old thing in my field that which people perceive as real is real and its consequences. And I think what we're dealing with here with this generation not being in church is something that is real and its consequence is the perception that religious people just don't care about the same thing that I care about. And I'll just add one final thing here. We didn't even ask them if they thought religious people agreed with them. Hmm. We just said, do you think they care about these things? Yeah. And by and large, you know, the answer just comes back with like, well, not to the same extent that I do. And so then it becomes, I think the math then becomes really simple from that point forward. It's like, well, why would you go someplace regularly where you thought you were going to be around a whole bunch of people who didn't share your values or concerns? Hmm. Well, and, and one thing that dad and I have talked about so much is that, especially for my generation, um, what you believe or what you practice or what activities you do or what you study or whatever, all of those things become really intrinsic to your identity it's it's really hard to separate those things or your values yeah. or your ideals from your identity. And it's really hard to see other people outside, like as a person outside of what they might believe. Um, and so like a, a further question for me would be, why would you engage with a place that if they don't care about the things that you care about or the ideas that you care about or the issues that that you are facing, why would you go to a place that by extension with my generation's mentality does not care about you. Hmm. Mm. Mm. Okay. See, this is why people like her so much more on the podcast. Josh, this is why people like her so much more. I know, it just drives me, yeah, it's, it drives me wild. That is, that is great. I'm going to, okay, we got to get that down for a quote. <laughs> oh, great please don't quote me Anna, i should not I have, be quoted i have been teaching ever. for 18 years and media for about 12 i've never been quoted Aww. so there you go 
I've been podcasting for two like, months. Don't, don't quote me on anything ever she said into the recording. Yeah. Hey, hey. Yeah, it's really true. That's going to get cut. I, I do. Nobody's I do. Thank you. I, no, that will extend into eternity. So thanks. Yeah. I mean, what do you, it's an, it goes with what you just said, though, Josh, isn't it? Is that even if there is genuine care among pastoral staff or people in the in, in congregations, somehow that doesn't translate to how young people are experiencing that. And, and is it because they don't talk about it or they're scared to talk about some of these harder topics or what, what's going on here? Yeah. Well, I, I, don't, I really want to affirm what you just said, because I think that, that, you know, part of the reason why we do the work that we do at Spring Tide is because there is this pervasive decline in blame narrative. And, and it goes something like this. Young people are not attending church as much as they used to. They're not affiliating with religious traditions as much as they used to. And and the implicit and sometimes explicit part, the second half of that is it's because you've not done a good enough job. Hmm. And and we really want to reject both of those. And we reject yeah. the first one on empirical claim. I mean, again, 75% of Gen Z identifies with religious or spiritual. And I just think there's more, the decline narrative is real. Those two data points do in fact exist and are you know confirmed by our own data. But that's not the whole story. There's real pockets of flourishing. The second part, I, I reject out of um, what I will call the, you know, the purview of my own expertise, which is to say, like, even just in the last three years, or virtually and in person, I've given probably more than 100 talks for Springtide. And I, I just, I've, I've had just the pleasure of, of interacting with so many campus pastors and rabbis and you know, ministers, et cetera. We are not dealing with a deficit care. Hmm. There is just no shortage of adults who genuinely care about young people and are really trying hard to do all the right things. And, and my, you know, the, the compelling reason for them at the Springtide to get the data out into the world is to help support them. And uh, the way I put it, to, to, to answer your question, I think as succinctly as I possibly can, is that we don't live in the same kind of world that created the models that these adults are often given to use to engage young people. And by that, I mean, most of the sort of institutionally based, you know, youth group models that sort of come to us because we are the source of, you know, trust and authority. Well, like those models worked really well in the 1950s and 60s when we had high institutional trust. But data from Gallup and Pew and others will show you that trust across all institutions has been declining for the last 50 years. Not like overnight, but like steadily just chipping away. And religion is a big part of that. And so what we've got now are these really well-meaning adults trying to reach kids who are sort of really desperately sort of searching, but they're using high-trust tools just that they don't realize that they're in a low-trust world. Hmm. And so the, it, they just got, you know, they've got tools that just don't work as well as they used to. And so that's, that's a, in large part, I think, what explains why so many well-intentioned people can work so hard to have, you know... Uh, year over year, just less results than, than the year prior. Unfortunately, I, I, I do think there's a way out of it, but I, it's important to understand sort of like why we can't just keep doing the things that, you know, work so well. Say like in the 90s, when I was, I was a youth group kid, I went to church and, you know, those things just don't work anymore. Yeah, and I do want to hear, and we do want to hear, we talked about it before we got started here tonight, uh, some of what you're seeing in terms of what is that way out or, or how do we carve out a path into the future with the change of wineskin on, on something like this. But 
One of the questions, too, that I might have is, is I think what I've experienced, at least in 18 years of teaching, is that my, my syllabi in my classrooms um, around ethical issues, specifically, for example, a sexuality class that I teach, if I looked at my right. syllabus in 2007, it would be comical related to the syllabus yeah. in 2022, just Same. given how, right? Given how much it's changed <laughs> and how many, yeah. basically in 2007, when I took a question and answer time from young people, it was basically, can I live together? How do I stop doing porn? And what do I do? Where, where's the line? Like, those are the three yeah. questions, right? And you compare that to the sexual landscape today. And and is some of it, Josh, that even if pastors and people in churches and parents and grandparents, they genuinely care, they also, the world has changed so much. And maybe we, we aren't in a place where we've been equipped to deal with these really difficult issues like sexuality and other things. Yeah, I think that's 100% true. I my first year out of graduate school, I taught race and ethnic relations at my first university. And as, as many graduate students often do, I, I pitched the syllabus for that class that was that my faculty looked at and said, that is way too radical. And by the time I was teaching in, two, in 2020 or 2019, the last time I taught that class, you know, I look back at it and like that was like, you know, comically insufficient, as you mentioned. Um, you know, just to pick a, a sort of similar and adjacent topic, but see a lot of evolution over the, just over a really short period of time. Uh, and, and like it, it's not you know people's values by and large haven't changed people still want the same things out of life the pathway is for that the, the you know the, the amount of freedom they feel to explore and or like um, I would say even entitled you know feel entitled to explore is different mm-hmm. and so the, the ways that we have to engage those topics and issues you know even when like look you, you know we're not kind of compromised on, on where you think you're right so it's it's not a question of like changing your values or your own morals or your teaching. The question is, you know, how can we get in front of young people in a way that allows us to credibly present the things that we believe in so that young people can sort of take them or not on their own terms. And right now, it feels like so often you don't even have the conversation because you're not even in the, you know, they're just not in the room. Like they're just not showing up on Sunday morning. Yeah. And so yeah. we've got to find a, a new way to even at least be able to present you know, to, I don't mean to frame it as an argument, but at least, you know, to present the case. So to speak. Yeah, absolutely. And I think one thing that I have run into is that, uh, and and we talked about this a little bit, Dad, a while ago, is that as somebody who grew up in the church and grew up going to youth group and, and all of these things, um, growing up, well, okay, still now currently and hopefully forever and ever and ever, my best friend is not... Uh, Christian, not religious, doesn't really like have a huge interest in that. And like, that's okay. It's never been like a a problem in our friendship at all. Um, It's it's, not a precondition for your relationship. Yeah, totally. Weirdly, it's been a problem for other people looking at our relationship, but (laughs) (laughs) it hasn't been a problem between us. Um, And so... But it's interesting because there have been times where she has introduced me to friends of hers and has kind of like, she's told me that she told them that I was Christian, (laughs) but that I was like, cool Christian, so they didn't have to be like freaked out. And I was like, yeah, like she sponsored you into the group. Right? Like (laughs) she's like, listen, I, what was there? There's like a book or something. Oh, it's the Wingfeather Saga where they like come into this town and they're like, listen, if we're going to let this dude into this town, you have to take responsibility for him, vouch for him. And if he messes up, we're going to kill both of you. And it's like, it's kind (laughs) of like that. Like that's what it feels like. That's a high risk move bringing a Christian into the environment, right? right? It doesn't work out. We're going to kill both Um, of you. (laughs) But, but the thing is, is that it's like the, 
I have come into those environments and like I've watched people when I first meet them, even though like I don't go to church anymore and I would consider a lot of the things that I believe to be really like a not against church teaching, but like contradictory to church teaching for sure. Um, and, and some and versions of church teaching, you'd yeah, say, right? The, yeah, to the kind sure. of churches in which you've grown up about, <laughs> you know, gospel and some of those things. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And so it's really interesting for me to like walk into those spaces knowing and, and, and watching them be guarded with me for, for a while and then kind of slowly watch that drop as they realize that I'm like not angry with them. I'm not there to preach at them. Yeah. Like I'm just there yeah. to hang out and play cards against humanity and eat Pringles. Um, <laughs> but like, like it's interesting to watch their guard go down. Also knowing that if I were to bring up Christianity, that guard would go right back up. Yeah. And so, right it, back up. but it's like, I have more credibility to them than like church leaders do because I'm more on 100%. their level and so it's like knowing that that's not even something that I could bring up with them is like, and it and it's not, we're not actively avoiding the topic, but it's not something that my best friend and I talk about. Mm-hmm. Um, and so it's yeah. like, how do we even begin to, I, I guess that would be my question for you is like, what have you guys seen in terms of ways that you could begin to bring up that topic with people who are like so mistrustful of Christianity and and for good reason. That's a great question. Yeah, um, that's a great question. And then uh, of leadership I, I, on top of that. It. Yeah. So I, and I want to right. affirm, like you know, this, what you. I, I'll just go ahead and give you credit for illustrating my point about <laughs> like high trust tools in a low trust environment. I mean, so imagine that you're my dad, right? My dad grew up Catholic in a Catholic neighborhood, Catholic church, Catholic school, right? I asked him at like you know a couple of years ago, a few years ago, I asked him. I said, "Who could get you to?" You know, when you were a kid, like who who could have gotten you to change your behavior or do something? And he said, he goes, well, the priest could have. And I think, oh, I said, oh, I don't remember you talking about like a really influential priest. Who was this? And he goes, oh, no, I think like just the priest, like whoever the priest was, I would have listened to. I didn't like one in particular. And you see in my own response to this generation later, how like patently a third that is on its face. Like, and uh, when I relayed this to my students, that my dad would listen to whoever the priest was, they thought I was making it up. They legitimately thought it was. Yeah. I mean, I know you can't and, see my face right now, but when you said the like the priest or yeah. a yeah. priest, my thought wasn't even like an influential priest in your in somebody's life, but just like a religious figure. Like <laughs> somebody right. in the church leadership would have actually gotten you to change a behavior. How does that work? Yeah, that's a great question, really. And and so that's like, you know, in that high trust world, what would you do? Well, you would do exactly what those systems that my dad was in were designed to do, which is you point back to the power of the institution in all the ways that you possibly can, right? So you wear a, you wear your collar everywhere. You show up. As the, you assume trust when you walk in. Like you get the benefit of the doubt. When you show up as a priest on the streets or on the sidewalks of your neighborhood, you can assume that people will think the best of you and your intention. But when we flash forward to the conversations with you and your friend and being sponsored into this group of people who are, you know, Christian skeptical, <laughs> um, <laughs> We are operating now in a low trust environment. The worst thing you could possibly do, right, is to show up with all the power of whatever institutional affiliations you might have. Because as you pointed out, A, they would it's not even that they would shut you down. They wouldn't even let you in the group. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. They wouldn't even let you in the group. You yeah. had to be sponsored into that conversation by somebody in the first place. So what what have we found to be effective? Like what are what are some low trust tools that we can begin leaning into? 
And you've already, I think, just because of your maturity and intelligence, like you, you already figured it out. You're my favorite. Can we we start our own podcast? I'm starting starting my own podcast with all of our guests from this podcast and not my dad. So thank you. The new podcast is Anna and Josh Packard. This is just great. This is so fun. Like we had to do all of this research, but you just illustrated it perfectly. And what we found at the research was that it's not program. It's not institution. It's relationship. Hmm. Yeah. And that is that sounds very simple, but the implications for what the church has largely been doing are massive. And the, the number one place, and we, we can talk through some of those implications if you want, but I'll just say here is that the biggest implication is maybe not even the one that you would think of first. The biggest implication is about trying. So thinking of, you know, your religious formation like mine was, like, uh, you know, a confirmation class, right? And so it was like, I was like, well, what happens if we, we can't make it? Like, you're going to be confirmed. You're going to come to class on this day, and by the end of the, at the, you know at this point in this year, you're going to be confirmed. We're like, but well, what if like my parents get divorced, or I move out of town, or you know if I can't make it? And they're like, you're going to start on this day, and at the end of a couple of years, you're going to be confirmed. Like that was just it, right? And <laughs> yeah. It was over. Right. Yep. The the focus on relationship turns all that on its head. You yep. this is not the power of the institution. This is the power of the relationship, and that means that we have to be committed to being in those conversations for as long as the young person across the table from us will let us be there. And it changes the power dynamic and it, it changes the way we spend resources. Everything changes when we start thinking about lengthening that timeline to fit a young person in Gen Z's actual faith development, knowing that they're skeptical from the beginning. Hmm. Yeah, absolutely. And I think the the first time in years that I started attending church on a semi-regular basis was when one of my good friends started regularly inviting me to church. And we would go out <laughs> for drinks afterwards because I was in Edinburgh and I could legally drink there. Um, small <laughs> disclaimer. But um, but we would go out for drinks afterwards and like talk about it and talk about the Bible and talk about what they said and yeah. talk about what we thought. But it was like that that was the first time that was the thing that got me going back to church on a semi-regular basis. It didn't have anything to do with the church and it had everything to do with my friend. With the relationship. Dad, yeah, no, well, yeah. yeah, and I and I think in like what you just said, Anna and Josh, what you were talking about there, um, you you use a you quote a phrase, I believe, in the article that I read um, that was released just a little bit ago, in which young people see the church as gearing up towards spending most of their resources for the Sunday morning event and and, and even use the phrase sort of a resource hog as it were. And and mm-hmm. having worked mm-hmm. in churches, I know how much time and effort and energy was spent weekly. <laughs> right, preparing for that Sunday service, yep. everything revolved around that, and and you can do a lot of really good events, but it's pretty tricky to have any sort of reasonable building of relationships in that hour or hour and a half service or whatever that looks like. So, do do you see that a church has to make some pretty extreme steps in allocating their resources or reallocating towards some different version of life together that isn't all geared around the Sunday service, or, or have you seen anything along those lines that's been helpful? Yeah, we are. I mean, we're seeing like everything from, you know, again, high trust to low trust tools. Well, what does worship look like when we move from high trust to low trust? Well, instead of making, you know, we have to come to terms with and recognize the fact that in a low trust world, they're not coming every Sunday. I mean, that is not what regular sociologists and social scientists haven't even defined regular attendance as every Sunday for a long time now. It's down to like once a month by some measures. And so why, you know, instead of putting resources into making every Sunday, the biggest and baddest and best possible thing. Mm-hmm. You know, what does what does it look like to have worship in a in a low trust world? Well, it looks like doing fewer really big things. You know, like like sort of leaning into the arts more, 
you know, having things that are that are like can stay with somebody for a longer period of time so that you're freed up in the interim time, not to not do Sunday or not to not care about it or, you know, Friday night worship or, you know, whatever it is, I mean, oh, it still matters. But you're freeing up some resources to, you know, yeah, to, to spend more time in people's homes, have more meals, drink more coffee. Um, these are the places where real, you know, connection is being made. Um, and that, uh, that starts with, a, you know, just a real, I think, you have to have a genuine curiosity and empathy for where people are at right now. And where they're at is not, in a, they're not in a high institutional trust world. The, you, know, you are not the center of the universe. And um, there's some humility that comes along with that. And also just some recognition. I mean, there's plenty of data out there. We talk about it. If, if, you're, if you don't know it in the church world, you're probably just not paying attention. But this is the loneliest generation that's ever existed hmm. by any measure. Yeah. And you know, you want to invite a bunch of lonely, anxious people to like a big event where they don't know anybody. Well, you know, good luck with that. Uh, you know, but if you want to sit down and have coffee with them, they're happy to engage. And, you know, especially if you're, if the focus is on them and not you and you're, you're, you're showing your commitment over the long haul. So that's, you know, those are some of the things I think that there are pathways forward that, and, and we're seeing it denominationally. We're also seeing it in these, um, you know, really successful, I would say that, you know, the sort of parachurch ministries, the, like individual chapters of Youth for Christ or, you know, individual uh, campus ministries on certain college campuses. And, um, uh, the, well, I think of One Table in the Jewish world, which is doing some great work in this area. They, they sort of operate outside of or adjacent to the institutional faith expressions, right? And so they get a little bit more freedom. Now, you know, the consequences are there. If they fail, like they go away. <laughs> um, they're taking, <laughs> you know, they're taking a, a little bit more risk. Uh, but they're allowed to innovate more and experiment. And what we're seeing as we collect those examples is the, the places that are, you know, they're, they're sort of peer-driven. So young people interacting with each other, but they're institutionally supported. Like that seems to be a pretty prime characteristic. That a really tough place, I know, for a lot of institutions to be. Um, because you're ultimately, you're sort of providing resources for something that you don't get to control. Hmm. But that helps to disrupt that, that sort of trust narrative and, and reframe it in a more productive way for you over the long haul. So that's a key characteristic. Um, they're, they're sort of intersectional and diverse by, by nature. You know, they're, they're, they're not, it's not like white people and, you know, they're, yeah. they're thinking through the lens of, of uh, intersectionality from the very beginning. And then the other characteristic that we see with these things that are working, you know, in this relational context is that they're intensely, I would say, hyper-local. I mean, we're talking about, like, in some cases, we're, I'm seeing really flourishing successful ministries that are done on, on like, you know, one or two city blocks. Yep. Um, yeah. That you just couldn't buy, you know, you could not pick it up and move it anywhere else and have it look the same as get successful. You know, it just, it reflects the very, very local. Yeah, I, boy, Josh, and and I know our time with you is running a little bit short. Maybe if, if it's, we, we each have maybe one more comment or question for you, but sure. that that piece about hyper-local and when you're talking about resourcing young people, um, one of the tricks right now is that uh, there's there's oftentimes a lot of staff people that are employed by the church and and understandably are are, are getting their income from the church and the people who give in the church and with the next generation my understanding is is that uh, w- that what goes along with the low trust environment is also a low giving environment and so to to move <clears throat> your resources this direction towards more of a relationality or hyper hyper localism or coffee shop or just being involved in people's lives. Do you almost need to have people from previous generations that are willing to say, 
hey, look, um, I, I'm going to invest in the next generation. I'm so grateful for the, the wineskin in which maybe I grew up, but things are changing right now. And it, even if it means that I don't have my preferred sort of institutional church experience, I'm going to give towards the future. Is, is that something that would be helpful in some of these environments? I do think there's a big component of like sort of educating your congregation or educating your supporters. Like that, that does matter. And so that, because it has to come across in a way that's like, yes, we need to do this new thing. We've seen the data, we've had the conversations, we see it as a reality in our lives. But that doesn't mean that the thing that you grew up with was bad because it wasn't. Right. It just, you know, it just isn't for right now. And, you know, along with that, I'll say that you're right. Like, this, there, there's a real question about what the future of giving looks like. A lot of philanthropies are, are trying to figure that out alongside a lot of religious organizations. But I'll, but I'll tell you who bears the brunt of adolescent loneliness more than almost anybody else. Maybe even at times more so than the adolescents themselves with their parents. Yeah, for sure. They, they see it. They see the mental health consequences of it. They see the spiritual health consequences of it. And they, they're just sad for them. And as a parent of a 12-year-old, I mean, if you want me to give you money... Start paying attention to my kids, yeah. and I'll give you all the money you want. I mean, honestly, yeah. no, for sure. You know, Absolutely. like I'll, I will do anything. You, I'll show up and volunteer. Like if you're calling my kid by name and you're making him feel noticed, name to known, which is the sort of belonging process we laid out at Springtime. Oh man, like <laughs> you know, maybe I just gave everybody like access to my wallet. I don't know, but <laughs> like, we, yeah. we will show up. We'll show up for that. Yeah, I, I would say for sure, Josh, that um, Anna, it really needs that. She needs it desperately. So if you want to send hey. some money to my Venmo account right now, we can, uh, we can, make, this, we can make this happen. Okay, All right, sure. Anna, you got one last question um, for Josh here today? Yeah, or, or more just a comment on the relational piece of it in a low trust environment. I think part of it too, and, and you and I have talked about this not on the podcast, Dad, but off the podcast. Um, and I know you talk about it in your class all the time, but the damaged idea of relationships in my generation that we, hmm. and we were just talking about this in my ethics class as well, because we just wrapped up like our eight class section on um, sexual morality. Yeah. And it was, it was ridiculous. But one of the things that we talked a lot about is that we don't know how to separate intimacy from sex. Yeah. Right. And, or like, <clears throat> but weirdly, there also has been that separation. And right. so we, we can have sex without intimacy but we don't understand how to have intimacy without sex. Yeah, and so it's mm -hmm. such an interesting, like the the damaged relationships. And then within the church, for me, especially growing up in that, knowing that the people who are there, I'm like, yes, I have had church leaders who have actively cared about me and tried to participate in my life. But the whole time, I'm also a little bit aware of the fact that like their paycheck mm -hmm, depends on mm -hmm. whether or not I'm yeah. there. And so... And this was a, a story that I shared, again, off the off the podcast um, with some people who were staying with us last weekend, last weekend. Right. Um, and the I, I know I don't ever shout up about Roots, but I love them so much. Um, and, and Roots was this community that I was a part of while I was overseas. And the kind of defining moment that I didn't realize was a defining moment, looking back, was when I was invited to go on their... Um, like weekend away retreat. And I was super hesitant. I had met these people literally two weeks before. I was like, I don't know about this. I don't know how I feel about going to that, like the whole mm -hmm. thing. And so the like good excuse that I gave because I'm a college student and college students are always broke. And so I was like, <laughs> I don't think I can like afford to do that. Cause I was like, that's my yeah. easiest out, least questions asked, like whatever. And I remember 
one of the um, staff members who I who I was talking to about this, she just looked at me and she was like, we'll find people to cover it. If you can't pay for it, we will cover it for you. Like mm. we want you to be able to come. And it was this yeah. moment for me where I was like, they don't want anything from me. They just want me to be there. Like they, they yeah. want me. They don't want my money. They don't want my, like, they're not trying to convert me. They're not trying to whatever. They just want me to be there because they genuinely care about me without expecting anything in return. And I, and I went on that weekend retreat and those people changed my life, hmm. like incredibly. And, and so this idea of being in a situation where even relationships are a low trust concept, it's like mm -hmm. to, to walk into a space where I was like, I don't know how I feel about this and have somebody legitimately want me there without expecting anything in return was so like radical to me that I, I, I practically ended up living there. Like I was there every day, all day <laughs> yeah, and right. I, and sure I loved right. it. Hmm. Wow. That's such a beautiful story. Thank you so much for sharing. I mean, this, this completely makes my day. That was so nice. I really early on, we have our own podcast. It's called the voice of young people where we just let young people talk about the sort of research topic that was going on about. And then you get so much context. And in one of those early episodes, the young person told me that, um, you know, a lot of times adults want to know why they can't just show up and ask me how I am and get like the really great answer or like they'll open up my heart to them or something. And mm -hmm. they have to remember that like our dominant experience of interacting with adults is of being dismissed. And so when you ask me how I'm doing, I'm just going to give you the quickest answer I can because I assume it, like, if you're asking because you're a professor, you're asking because it's your job. If you're asking because you're a, a youth minister, you're asking because it's your job and, and on and on. Um, mm -hmm. And I was like that, that notion of just like, you, you know, our dominant experience of being dismissed, it was like, yeah, you have to pursue, right? You have to do, you have to go there, you have to ask. And I saw this as a faculty member myself, like it wasn't until students, you know, saw me take notes during our conversations and then follow up with specific questions about what they wanted to do when they graduated and then actually do something to help them achieve that goal. Then they would start to really, you know, open up to me. And, you know, in your case, it's like not until somebody, it's not just the invitation, it's like the, the invitation with the, little, the extra extension of, Oh, yeah, we'll figure out a way to make this work. We just care about you. Hmm. And yeah. it, it, the, the default assumption among young people is that you you don't just care about this, that you care about, you're also serving some other institutional force. Yeah, because it can't be a project, right? You you can't have a, a church vision strategy that suddenly says, we're going to reach young people and have it be a project. Uh, young, young people can sniff pretty quickly through if they're being a project or if they're actually being cared about, like genuinely from the inside. Yeah. I, I don't know if you've seen that, yeah. but that's what I sense about it. Absolutely. Oh, and Absolutely. there's nothing I, I would hate more than being a project. Being a project, <laughs> yeah. Well, <laughs> Uh, Josh, thank, I know time has extended even a little bit. I appreciate the the time with us. We'd love to have you on again as some of these topics come up. But um, I, we, we've heard from a lot of people that they they are interested in in sort of next generational stuff and, and how do we think about these things. And I know you're continuing to do research on that. You have a um, you're doing a, a presentation that I think is it live stream and available to the public in a couple of weeks at Viterbo University. Oh, I don't actually. You know what? That's beyond. That's above my pay grade. That's above I, your pay grade. Exactly right. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but can can people access some of your research? Just generally speaking, if they want yeah. to take advantage so of it, yeah. Where do they, they go? If they want to see more about what we're up to, they can go to springtideresearch.org. All of our stuff there. Right now, we're in the middle of a big series about faith and mental health and the impact that both of those have on each other. Uh, 
in particular, how we can build mental health friendly organizations by fostering purpose among young people. Nice. Uh, and, uh, and if people just for some reason, if this isn't enough of me talking, there's a lot of stuff <laughs> on our YouTube channel, which includes like more of me and as well as some other uh, videos and, and resources that we've made. If, you, if you're on YouTube and you go and look for the Springtide Research Channel. Well, yeah. and you and I are starting our own podcast too, oh, right? My. So there will yeah, be well, like even no, more that'll content. Be coming too. Worst day of my be, whole life. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, thanks. This has been a blast. Really appreciate your your work, Josh. And I, I do hope that we can stay in touch here in the in the months and years ahead. It's great stuff. Thank you so much. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, so happy to be here. Thanks to both of you, and I'd be glad to come on. All right, that sounds good. Have a great night, man. Bye. Thank you. All right. Bye, y'all. Bye. Okay, so I flagged that. So now we can just talk about whatever for a little yeah, bit and yeah, decide yeah. if we want to keep going or not. I have time. I'm in a good spot with my essay. Yeah. So if we want to do the Christian quiz. I just want to eat some dinner. Um, yeah. And uh, <clears throat> But we should do a little re- like reaction in real time to what he had to say. Yeah, okay, totally. Okay, so let's start it. Okay, hang on. Well, that wasn't exactly terrible. I just, I, literally, we did not have one single scripted question. No, I wanted to find out where he's from. Uh, his article, that article that he wrote, it yeah. blew my mind. Um, what he had, we're gonna have to find it and and um, get some show notes for our show or something for yeah. people to go to because it was pretty. I thinking about the quote where he said they're being forced to leave the place they've considered home, which is the church, right? People right. who have grown up in the church, they're being forced to leave the place that they call home because it would be spiritually dangerous for them to remain. Yeah. I think about that quote every day. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Well, and that whole thing about hyper-localism really yeah. has my attention right now because I sort of stumbled upon it in class. I kind of was making it up as I go along as, as oh, yeah, I totally. want, want to do in class. You never do that. No, <laughs> no, no. Everything's so well well rehearsed. Mm-hmm, definitely. Class. But, but it sort of stumbled upon the idea that I think the evolution of the expression of people gathering as a church and... And and you know what the definition of the church is? <laughs> it's not a steeple and a sign and a website, no, no, right? No. Right. Okay. So so I think the future of how people are going to gather to continue to express their faith in this world as as people of light in the midst of the darkness that I I think it's going to be more a parish mindset. And, and by parish, we just mean neighborhoody, hyper local. Uh, if this thing is is starting well, to finally move towards relationship instead of business, yeah. you have to be at least somewhat close to the to the community in which you find yourself and the people around if you're going to develop a relationship it's tough to develop adult play dates all the time when you have to drive 30 minutes <laughs> absolutely and like Caleb and I and and for the listeners who don't know Caleb is my older brother and also one of my best friends but yes he and I Indeed. have um he and I've been talking a lot lately because he's graduating in in December and I'm graduating sometime in the distant future unless I drop out which I might but um, <laughs> you <laughs> <laughs> I, mean, I just broke into a full cold sweat right there. I'm sorry. Pretty, I think I need some vitamin C for my palpitations okay. that are going on right now. It'll yes. be okay. you, you, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But, um, <laughs> but he and I have been talking about like, okay, living situations after graduation. What does that look like? What do we want to do? And, and right. one of the ideas that kind of like half jokingly, half seriously um, has been thrown around is a sort of like friends sitcom situation where we've got where we basically take over like an apartment complex with a bunch of our friends and just like some of us in some room, some of us in another room, some of us in another room because we we're like these relationships in this community is so important to us and we want to do everything that we can to keep it and it seems like the biggest thing for that is proximity. Yeah. Because like it's so it's so hard and and as somebody whose best friend lives what five 
thousand miles. We no, mapped no, a, it. At it's one a lot. Point. Yeah, it's a um, lot. Here to Scotland's a many, lot. many miles away um, on the other side of the ocean. Um, it it's something that is natural to us now after seventeen years <laughs> yeah. to to keep that relationship going, even when we're not in proximity. But it was hard for a long time. It was it was a struggle to like maintain that friendship and maintain that level of of closeness because we were so far away. And then even me leaving after living there for nine months, it was so hard to go back to not seeing her four times a week. Yeah. Like it, that's why we're talking about taking over an apartment complex because we're like, we want to keep these relationships in proximity and we kind of all instinctually know that they're going to dissolve if we don't. Yeah, it's one of the we haven't had a chance to debrief about your mom's and my trip to London no. and and to Scotland and and visiting Tim Yearsley who joined our podcast well, a few still weeks so ago. I'm so jealous I, about that. I didn't get to meet it, him in person. He was he was great. And um and and among the things that um we we learned there and it's just about this relationship and and that we want to have a whole life faith. It's not just a Sunday morning faith. And and to do that, you have to be with other people, which means you have to be sort of local. I mean, I'm sitting here texting my my buddy as we are having this podcast because he's asking me about golf on this Saturday. And I, I, I really want to join him at this really cool yeah. golf course up on Saturday. And then... Uh, and I don't know that I can make that work because we've got Scotch night on Saturday uh, that I have some uh, a pastor and some friends coming over um, because I, brought, I didn't know about I this. brought home such good. Oh, and, and this I did know about. Okay, yeah, the it, Scotch stuff it, because it, you ordered so much <laughs> Scotch to my flat and I was never there when it was delivered. So I, I always had to go down the hill to I pick didn't, it up. Well, I didn't. I didn't. I didn't order it. I won it on auctions, and so oh, I have all of this. That's better. Oh, but I got it at a great discount, and there's Ooh. all of these distillery based uh, whiskeys that you just simply can't get in the United States. So I brought a bunch of them home. Mm -hmm. And let's be clear, if people um, are sort of Scotch aficionados, they better make the transition in their linguistic choices from Scotch to whiskey because they call it whiskey in Scotland. They don't call it Scotch. You you out yourself as an American immediately. You've never outed yourself as an American (laughs) in Scotland ever. Why, just because I'm really loud and Mm. (laughs) (laughs) self-absorbed? <laughs> Not even a little bit. No, so so it's so they're coming, and I'm texting him. And the point is, is he he lives about uh, 13 minutes away right now, and that's actually almost close enough to just say, dude, get over here. We have so much to talk about right yeah. now. And and what I love, I can't do that with my friends that are 30, 40, 50 minutes away. It, you just can't. You end up in these weird. Um, as a 51 year old, I'm I'm still arranging for play dates as if I'm six. Oh, and yeah. you have to plan ahead and you have to say, hey, we really get to get, we have to get together. And there's this little ritual that we do. Mm-hmm. It's like, it's been too long. I'm going to text you or whatever, blah, blah, blah. Yep. And we need to get together. And then you get together. Sometimes you do. Sometimes three months go by and then you text them again and you're like, hey, are we, we really going to get, get together? I know, I know. Yeah. And and then you end up and you get together and it's like, oh, for the first hour, it's so good to see you. It's just been so fun. And then you catch up for a little bit and then you mm-hmm. have like two hours of somewhat meaningful conversation. And then at the end of those two hours, you spend about a half an hour saying, this was so good. We need to do it again. Yeah. And then they leave or we leave if we're at their house. And then it's three months again that go by. No wonder Josh was talking so much about this loneliness epidemic. Um, Absolutely. I, I, I don't know how to resolve the loneliness epidemic unless we're willing to do some of the things and experiment like you and Caleb are doing right now, which is more of this sort of hyper-localization and, yeah. and delivery. But let's be clear. 
you better not form a friends like community. Th- those no. Joey Tribbiani, no, no, no. Phoebe meant, Bates, listen, Monica Ross Geller. I just meant in the sense that exactly some of us models. live like across the hall. Oh, that's right. like we're okay. all in the same like area. Yeah. Well, see, the thing that drives me what and that's the but Chandler though. Uh, like, Chandler, are you a Chandler Bing fan? I am. How I have never met somebody who's a Chandler Bing fan. Everybody that I know is a Chandler Bing fan. How? What is the draw? Um, for me, he is just like the epitome of my type. What, which you is, have a type. You yeah, and I have. I have had, you types. and I have not had this conversation. <laughs> you have a type. Uh, not a physical type, but like a mental type. Okay. What's your yeah. mental type? Um. Like funny intellectual people. Oh, that's yeah, fair. that's super fair. So like Chandler that's, is, that's is, my is two funny and intellectual. Things. Mm-hmm. On that show, yeah. Well, a much better choice than than sort of the neurotic uh, Ross Geller, and definitely Ross drives me insane. Definitely, I better cannot choice. deal with Ross. <laughs> no, if you ever move towards the philandering Joey Tribbiani, you and I are going to have some words because that that Honestly, is a major problem. I I would take Joey over Ross. That's how much Ross pisses me off. I uh, can't deal wow. with him. Wow, I can't a... deal with him even a little bit. <laughs> He so makes me funny. so angry. <laughs> uh, so a couple of maybe last other reflections as we kind of wrap up this uh, this episode of Deeper Magic. I don't Anything else um, stand out from what you said? There's so much that he said. Um, I think it's just hopeful maybe for me yeah. that people are doing some research. And, and, and I think, and again, this will be for another podcast, but um, I think people need to do some off the map experimenting with what faith is going to look like. And at the London Institute with Tim Yearsley, I was, your mom and I both were a little dumbfounded yeah. by what they're doing that's really off the map. And um, and and they have the covering to be able to do it, meaning people aren't just going to kick them out because it sounds um, heretical maybe, or yeah. it's, it, it sounds unfamiliar to them. I mean, we're so quick to burn each other at the stake in institutional yeah. church life just because something sounds unfamiliar or different and then we just stay divided and blah, blah, blah. I, I just really appreciated that um, Josh was talking about this idea of relationships and needing to experiment about how we do some of this. I, I would want to be a part of a gathering like that. Absolutely. And I loved, um, I really loved what he was saying about being in a low trust environment and figuring out that the way that you begin to repair that is by really genuinely investing in relationship. Because I think the thing that I run into is like the part of the reason why I stopped going to youth group was because I realized I I didn't have the language for it, but I was in a low trust environment. I didn't have trust in, in the leaders and my mentors and the church that I was going to, or really in the idea of any churches that I was going to. Um, and and for a little while, I think the longest period that I consistently attended youth group was when it was me and, and this group of, of women who ranged from my age to like mid to late 20s. And we all just sat and hung out and talked about life. Like it felt like we were doing life together. Mm-hmm. Um, and that And when that group shifted, that was when I stopped going. Um, but I, I feel like so much of the youth group mentality in particular is about what can we do to draw the young people in? Mm-hmm. And so it's mm-hmm. like... And then make them a project, which right. is just enough to drive me up a wall. It's you don't enough. actually, you don't have to actually see somebody care and love them right. for them to be your project. It's, it's about you in those moments. Yeah. And so it feels a little bit like I'm sitting there and, and they're like, come this way, children. Like, it's like the, okay, <laughs> this might be an extreme example, but it feels like, like 
the white van pulling up and being like, hey, kid, you want some candy? Like, it feels like that, where they're like, come this way. We have pizza and pop music and a bouncy castle and paintball. I don't know. Um, and and they're like, come this way. And then you go inside and they lock the doors and they're like, okay, we're going to tell you how you're going to hell. And it's like, no wonder we have a low trust relationship with the church institution. And so it kind of feels like they've put on all of these like fun like frivolous Mm -hmm. ideas and banners and colorful slogans and all of these things to like get us in the door. And then we get in there and there's like not actually much going on. And so the idea, the idea of genuinely investing in relationship without expecting anything in return is not something that I've heard from somebody. I mean, and I understand that he's not necessarily in a church leadership position, but at least somebody who is, coming at the younger generation trying to figure out how to bring them into the church. I have never heard the idea that maybe we just take them seriously as people hmm. and sit down and have conversation with them genuinely. Yeah. I, I think um, as, as we said in that time with him that I think you can young people, I think we underestimate how quickly young people sniff out lack of, of somebody. We're smarter be, than we let on. Yeah. Somebody be, exactly. Somebody being genuine um, in, in that. And, and so if, if I was to ever attend another church meeting in which they were doing strategic vision to reach young people as projects to draw them into the church, if that's the, and so then you, you almost market relationships mm-hmm. in order to do that. That is enough to drive me. I mean, I literally oh, yeah. will poke out an eyeball with a hot fork at that point because to, to, to strategize and market relationships as opposed to actually being in relationships. But you know, I, here's the thing, Anna, I, I just don't know genuinely, even in my generation and people that I don't, I think we live in a longstanding deficit of people being able to genuinely live in relationships with one another in a way that is trustworthy. I I, I can think of a couple of friends that I have in this world that that I'm willing to let down my guard with enough to trust. But I think we've all been so burned. I think we've lived- two, maybe three. Right. I mean, right? And- and that that's enough to to settle my soul in some ways, um, but mostly my posture in this world is one of of guardedness and suspicion because yeah. we've been trained to just be so hurt, and it's and it's part of why it drives me so wild when organizations give a wink and a nod, as we've talked to in the past, um, to the to the sex scandals of perhaps the Catholic Church yeah. and also the Protestant Church and all like of these the moral failures. Of that, yeah, they don't know that that is the very root of the low trust environment. Is the is the combination of the lack of morality with making people projects has yeah. led to this profound low trust environment, and then you guys all get blamed. You're the issue, you right? know, right? You're you're just <laughs> yeah. a bunch of self absorbed TikTokers, and and you don't really know what's up. Yeah. And I, I have two things about that is first of all, uh, with the making people a project thing is like, I, I know people who would ask me like, but what's wrong with wanting to help people? And I'm like, mm-hmm. um, it, <laughs> it's very thoughtful, <laughs> but, um, it kind of, the idea of being somebody's project hmm. to me re-emphasizes what the church has already been trying to teach me for years and years and years, which is that I am not enough and I am broken and I need somebody to fix me. And and that is what the idea of being somebody's project is. And I can like, it is instant when a, when a church leader or a mentor or, or just an older figure in the church 
comes towards me and starts having a conversation, I can tell almost immediately when they're like, oh, sweetie, you need your soul to be saved. Mm. And I'm like, I'm a person. Treat me like one, please. Mm-hmm. And and then with the dismissal of the the hypocrisy and the scandal within the church is I at times over the years have wondered if that is at least in part due to the fear that if they address that, they won't ever stop. Like that they might unleash or unearth something that they're like, oh, there was so much more here than we thought there was. And so they just kind of keep sweeping it all under the rug. And then there's my generation standing there going, man, I didn't think that a rug was supposed to cover a 20-foot dust pile, mm-hmm. but here we are. And, and it's it's really hard to exist in that environment, it is. for sure. And, and I think the great irony of the invitation is that the willingness to acknowledge and be broken by our failures, yeah. right? And like, I don't care if you're a parent, uh, if you're a friend, um, mm-hmm. if you are, in this case, a church leader. And I appreciated what Josh said because I... I have, in fairness, met so many lovely leaders of institutions that really do care, oh, but they I have, have you well, know, but they've yeah. just been equipped in such horrendous ways. And and again, I have a front line or a front row seat to so sometimes the equipping that's done. But I, I think um, the this idea of uh, just having somebody with whom that you can let your guard down, and yeah. if that can start happening, and like I just it, it the irony is is that for for church leadership or people in leadership that if they're willing to let their guard down and say, you know what, I blew it, you you go from like low trust to moderate trust pretty oh, quick in that moment. You know when you're not playing games yeah. of pretend, but that's true of just about any relational environment. For people who are willing to acknowledge their own junk, uh, yeah. that there's some kind of trustworthiness that gets expressed, and and I think. The friendships that I've had oh, that have right? lasted have been the friendships where we are able to come to each other and be like, hey, I don't like that you do that. Stop it. And the other person is like, I'm so sorry. And and, th- and that's it. And you move on. And that's all it is. But but every single one of the friendships that I've had that has dissolved or blown up are the friendships where, first of all, it wasn't okay to bring up that some that somebody was doing something that you didn't like. And second of all, if you did, there was no apology. Yeah. Yeah. There was just a, we're going to move on and pretend nothing happened. Yeah, exactly. Well, lots to think about. You and I have got a lot to cover. I'm, what I'm glad for is that we've started a bit of the reconstruction here. And, and if we take one word away from this particular podcast, I would take away the word uh, relationship. And but, yeah. but I would modify that with the word genuine. It can't be a project. It has to be you Absolutely. actually start caring about people. And if people don't care about people, then, then we have to figure <laughs> out how to care about people. Yeah. Maybe one way to end it is that um, in, in true transparency, we haven't recorded the first part of this podcast yet. You weren't supposed to tell them that. <laughs> so, so we're doing something a little unusual. We're Here. gonna we're we're gonna go backwards and exposing and, all our secrets. We yes. are. We are. I know. And oh yeah, they're proprietary. I'm sure. You oh know, right. Oh, uh, you're admitting our mistakes. Well, I, well, I mean, I, I'm just being transparent because you have a quiz. That I like do. A, it's a spiritual yes. well-being quiz, right? Oh, and, it's so fun. And so we're gonna stop now. There's tacos upstairs waiting for me. I made <gasps> the tacos like an hour and a half I ago, love and tacos. I'm dying. I'm really hungry. I'm uh, very so, excited for tacos. So we need to stop here in the podcast. But when we come back, um, I'm really curious right now at the end of this podcast how the opening of the podcast is going to uh-huh. go. This is because gonna be fun. I don't know how I'm going to score on this supposed. It was a spiritual well-being test. Yeah, it says. Um, 
worldview checkup. Oh, wow. (laughs) You answer the following questions to reveal how much you've been shaped by a biblical worldview and influenced by other worldviews. It shows how you might be able to strengthen your faith in specific ways. As as a professor who, in theory, teaches biblical worldview. Oh, this, this will be fun. It's terrifying. I might not come down from the You're, tacos. Uh, Caleb and I both took it last night, and yeah. neither of us scored very high. <laughs> <laughs> what, did, what did you get on this? I don't remember what I got, but I remember Caleb was in the 30s. <laughs> it was That's really great. good. <laughs> well, another good example of my utter failure uh, as a parent. But this is, hey, this has been a really fun episode mm-hmm. with Josh. I hope he comes back uh, again and doing that. So, yeah, yeah, it's your job to wrap us up this time. I think I've done it the last like 14 times, even though we only That's have true. six episodes. How? So, how is this going to work? Are we going to, like, in the, from the, end of this podcast we'll see you in our future that is your past it's very doctor who it's we're gonna we're gonna doctor. jump oh, into the tardis wobbly timey wimey thank you we're i gonna... love that show <laughs> okay yeah well this has been deeper magic um and thank you all for listening i'm anna and this is my dad peter thanks I everybody guess. Deeper Magic is produced by Audio on the Rocks, and our music for this episode is Auroras of Saturn by Music L Files. You can head on over to filmmusic.io and find that there, all licensed under Creative Commons 4.0, viewable on the site as well. Mm-hmm.